Welcome to the Freedom House Movement Podcast. Today is the third part of a series empowering women and mothers. I'm so glad you joined us today. This topic of women and mothers and God's empowering of us is really something that I'm passionate about. Um, I've spent some time with the Lord the past few months just praying about this and just asking Him what His heart was. I really feel like He's restoring the narrative of women, and I'm excited to share more. We've talked about how we're covered in mercy and grace, that we're seated in victory so that we cannot fail, that even in our mistakes we can celebrate that we're growing, that we can look at His perfect love and release ourselves from perfection, that we can see mistakes as invitations to intimacy, There's no need to perform or be perfect, that our performance is not attached to our identity, and Jesus Christ performed the perfect act of love so that we could receive love, that as women and as mothers, we're partnered with heaven to bring life and light everywhere we go, that we are filled with a spirit to no limit, which makes us boundless, and we're boundless because we carry family. So today we're going to expand on what we've been talking about, that first we are enough, Second, we are boundless. And today, the truth that I want to talk about is that we are empowered, that you as a woman, you are empowered. We're going to look at how Jesus served and how we can be empowered by love the way that he was. I believe God wants to bring us into greater measures of rest as women to be rooted and grounded in our identity. That we would be set free today from striving and that we would learn to abide in a new way that everything we need flows from Him, and we would learn to freely receive that. But what does it look like to live life being empowered as women? How do we mother and how do we serve others empowered? Today we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha, and then we're also going to look at the story of how Jesus served, and look at how the two are different, and look at how the two are alike. So pick up reading in John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Now what I want to say here, what I feel like God was showing me, is that there's nothing wrong with what Martha did. That serving in itself is not wrong. I honestly think so many times I've heard the story of Mary and Martha, and Martha's just kind of gotten a bad rap, like, What she did was wrong. She should not have been serving. And I don't believe that's what God's pointing out or what he was pointing out to me when I read this. What I saw in it was that he wanted to address her posture behind what she was doing. Because as women and as mothers and as all people in the kingdom of God, we are called to serve others. But how do we do that in a way that's empowered by love and is not striving or performing? So let's look at a story of Jesus serving. This is in John chapter 13, the very next chapter. Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side. All throughout his time with the disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them, and now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer robe, and he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. Then jump down to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe and returned to his place at the table. And verse 17. 
So now put into practice what I have done for you, and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. So what was the difference? They did the same thing. They both served while others were seated at the table. And the table here is significant. I love how when Jesus teaches in the gospel, that he teaches through these parables. And what I want you to see here is the significance of the table. It's both literal and figurative. It points to our worth and our identity, and it points to position and what we believe about ourselves. There is an actual table in heaven, and there is this beautiful table of invitation in the kingdom of God. It talks about it in Luke several times. In Luke 22, it says, You may eat and drink at the table in my kingdom. In Luke 13, it says, And people will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. In Psalms, it says that he prepares for us a table in the presence of our enemies. So the table picture here is very important in understanding position. You know, a seat at a table and a feast has everything to do with identity. Jesus served instead of being at the table, just as Martha served instead of being at the table. But the difference was their posture. Jesus knew his identity and his place at the table, which enabled him to leave and be able to go serve out of love. He was originally at the table, and he knew his place at the table was secure. He knew that he belonged. He knew his position. He knew his place. He served in overflow, and he was rooted in identity. When we see him be able to get up from the feasting table and go over and wash his disciples' feet, what we're seeing here is a picture of serving out of overflow and serving from a place of love. Jesus washes feet because he's serving as a son. He knew his place at the table was secure, and it allowed him the grace to go be able to serve and not lose his position. But Martha served instead of being at the table, I think, because she didn't know her worth. She knew Jesus as teacher, and she loved him, and she was loved by him. But I believe this showed us, shows us a picture of her performing for love or trying to earn her seat at the table. It says that Mary and Lazarus were reclining at the table while she served. I believe that the difference is that we are called to serve, but God wants us to understand and be rooted in our place at the table first. As women serving others and serving our family, we get to teach and invite our children and our friends and our community to sit at the table and feast on the goodness of God. But it's imperative that we know our own seat at the table. When life's needs pull at us, we can leave the table to serve, but his heart is for us to never take our eyes off of him, to never lose sight of our position at the table, to know that we have a chair provided for us, that a feast is prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, that we would abide in him, that we would know our worth and know our seat and our place at the table in the kingdom of God. I love that in all of those verses in Luke, when it talks about the table of God, it talks about it being in the kingdom of God, that there are different positions and different seats, that everybody has their place, that everybody belongs, that it's part of the body, that you have a seat and I have a seat that yours is unique to you and mine is unique to me. It's so powerful to know our seat at the table. You know, I'm thinking about um, our two babies. When I know that they're ready to eat is because they've been watching me eat. They sit in their little high chairs and they eat their snacks and they begin to feast as they see us eat. I remember looking over at our fifth and she would just start opening her mouth as we were eating. And we laughed, but it's really true. We model feasting, and then our children learn from us. 
It's true in the natural and it's true in the supernatural. That when we begin to feast on the goodness of God, our hunger grows for that. They see us growing. They see us feasting and they learn to do the same. They learn their place at the table by pulling them up beside us. That's how you teach a child to eat is that you feast at the table. They watch you model that and then they begin to grow and they get to a point of maturity where they're ready to feast too because they've watched you do it before. I believe that this is a really important modeling for mothers and for serving others, that I can feed you better and tell you more about the feast when I've experienced the feast. You know, when I want to tell someone about the nature of God, the best way to do that is that I've already feasted on it, and I can tell them about His delight. I can tell them about His goodness because I've experienced it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I know what it's like to be with Him. I know what it's like to feast. And when I tell you about it in that context, it actually creates a hunger in you for you to experience more of him. So there was nothing wrong with what Martha did. She served and Jesus also served. He actually teaches here that it fulfills love to serve, that he did it in a different posture. He did it at rest and he did it releasing heaven because he was directly connected to the Father. The Father was his source. He showed the full measure of love by first receiving the full measure of love and being connected with one. I love here that Jesus says to his disciples, I've taught you so many things, and today I want to show you the fullness of it. The fullness of it was him serving. But you know, you can't pour out what you haven't received. And Jesus was able to pour out the full measure of love because he had first received the full measure of love. He was connected with the source of love, and this is abiding. Now Mary shows us a picture here of what I believe abiding looks like. In Luke 10, 38, this is just another account of Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I'd like to suggest here that the one thing, when he says only one thing matters, I would like to suggest that the one thing is abiding, that we would seek first the kingdom, knowing all the other things would be added. I believe that's what Mary knew how to do here, and that's what God was inviting Martha into that she would begin to abide, that she would begin to learn her place at the table so that she could be empowered to serve, but she wouldn't do that out of her own need to be accepted or her own need to perform, that she would abide in love and she would be able to serve out of the overflow because she's connected to the source. I think here the one thing is seeking first the kingdom and knowing that the other things will be added, that in the kingdom of God is family, in the kingdom of God is mothering and work. And all of these things are in the kingdom of God because we were created to do them. That he put in us a spirit that is boundless to go after the things that he's put in us to fulfill our purpose. And that when we're seeking him, we're seeking the kingdom, that all of these things will work out as we're connected to him, connected to heaven and abiding in his love. John fifteen five shows us a beautiful picture of abiding. It says, I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. 
We're empowered by connection with Him, having Him as our source. Picking up at verse 8, When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. Let my love nourish your hearts, for I am nourished and empowered by His love. So Jesus says when He washes His disciples' feet, this will be the full measure of love. And anytime Jesus is with his disciples, he's teaching them. He's asking them to come to the fullness of love. And then he says here that when you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father, that you will love and that you will be nourished and empowered by love as I am. Jesus is showing us here the picture of serving. He's showing us that we reach maturity when we are able to be nourished and empowered by love and when we begin to serve out of that place. Jesus shows us that empowerment comes from abiding in love, abiding in the Father. This is his design for us to serve one another and to live victoriously. <clears throat> so let's talk about Mary and Martha. What if it's not one or the other? What if it's both? What if it's not a choice of sitting at his feet or serving? or feasting, or serving, what if it's both? That the time at his feet enables rest while we serve. That our truest selves are at his feet, and our truest selves are feasting at the table, but it enables us to see both things, serving and abiding as worship. They're both worship to him because they're both the full measure. We have to receive the full measure so that we can give the full measure. And I believe he enabled us for both things, that he gave us both hands and feet. When we abide in him, he strengthens us and renews us in who we are. We know our place at the feasting table, and we both receive and are empowered to give the full measure of love by serving. We are nourished and empowered by his love so that we can serve. So our time at his feet, our abiding, produces the fruit of love in our lives. Jesus showed us this beautiful picture of the vine and the branches and what it looks like to be connected to him and to bear fruit. I believe as women and as mothers, God wants us to produce fruit, that that's part of our job in the kingdom of God, that our lives would be marked by fruit, that when we become mature in the measure of full love and when we're receiving the fullest measure of love, that produces the fruit of love in our life. But I think it's important for us to understand what fruit is supposed to look like. Everyone's probably already picturing or thinking in their head of the Bible verse of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to just point out something here that I recently learned about the fruit of the Spirit that totally changed how I saw it. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. This is probably one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized, and I loved it because it showed me all of the things that I wanted to look like. Now, I recently heard a teaching on the fruit of the Spirit by this brilliant man named Carl Richardson. I have so much respect for him and the way that he talks about the love of God. He pointed out to us that the New Testament is written in Greek, and Greek did not have punctuation. So when it was translated, we began to read the verse differently. So we read it as a list when it could be read or should be read like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, which looks like joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are describing the single fruit of love. They're not this list of attributes that we're supposed to muster up. 
We're supposed to be connected to love and that love is joy. It is peace. It's patience. It's kindness. The love of God produces the fruit of gentleness and of self-control in our life. When we read it as a list, we have all these things that we are and all these things that we're becoming and all these things that we want to do. And it really causes us to strive when what God is inviting us into is abiding in the source of love, that when we abide in him, we're connected to the source and it produces the fruit of love and we're connected to what we need for loving others, that we need patience, we need kindness. We know that these are real things that we need, especially as mothers. But when we need patience, we need to know that we're connected to the source of patience. We don't need to muster up more patience. We need to see God being patient with us. And that will empower us to love like he does. Because when I receive the truth of God being patient with me, it compels me to be patient with my children. I know how much was given to me, and I freely give it away to my children. It changes things because when I'm trying to produce all of the fruit, when I'm like, I've got to be patient, I've got to be kind, I've got to have self-control, I picture myself just like beating myself up. That is striving. When we're trying to produce all the fruit that is supernaturally supposed to come from the source of love, we're going to be striving because we're trying to produce something out of us instead of being connected to the source that wants to produce something through us. When you receive for yourself first, then you'll be at rest in your mothering. You'll be able to serve others because you've first freely received and then you can freely give. You'll know that you were made for this, that you were made for connection first with God and then with others, that you were made for giving and receiving the full measure of love. So Mary sitting at his feet is the perfect model of abiding. She shows us what it looks like to receive first. In John 1 verse 3 it gives a different account. It says, Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. She shows us renewing herself at his feet. And I had this vision a few weeks ago. I was, I feel like I'm always talking about changing bunk bed sheets because it's probably the thing I like the least. And when I don't like things, I really need an encounter with God to help me serve well, right? So I was changing the bunk bed sheets and I just felt like God said, why don't you just stop, get reconnected with me? And then all of these chores that you need to do, you'll be walking through your house and you'll be dripping that perfume that your house will begin to smell like me as you serve your family because you're first connected with me. I love this vision of us being renewed at his feet. And then we find ourselves as we serve others, dripping with the fragrance of the oil of gladness throughout our day. I think that that's this idea that we would abide in him. We would receive his love and that we would overflow, that that love would permeate through our serving, that I would remain in him and I would bear the fruit of love by being connected to the source, that me serving my family or serving others in ministry will leave that place with the fragrance of Jesus. That is restful empowerment that I would first receive from him and then in that place those people would be changed because of what God placed inside me. So you are empowered. Jesus was empowered to serve and to love by being rooted in identity and rest. So what does that look like? How do we practically walk out what Jesus has modeled for us? Like sitting at his feet 
because life gets busy and we're going to be pulled on. So I just want to go through four practical ways that I have found victory in staying in rest and in mothering by abiding. This has allowed me to see who I am as a mother, to see who I am as a daughter, and to really minister to my family and to others out of overflow. My heart today in sharing these things would be that that you learn. I really think abiding and connection to God is this muscle that we're strengthening and we're growing, and it changes in different seasons, and sometimes we have to build it a little bit more. It's not striving, but it is this muscle of learning how to do it, going back to the source, remembering that when you start getting into survival mode or start really just laboring out of what you carry instead of what God's placed inside you, it's that memory muscle. It's going back to that place. It's abiding at his feet and saying, okay, help me receive the full measure because I don't have enough to pour out right now, which lets me know that I don't have the fullest measure for today. I just encourage you to be open to that and to what it looks like in each season. I know for me, every time I've entered a different season in being a woman or in being a mother, I've had to relearn how to stay connected with him. It looks different in each season, but when we're connected to the source, we are empowered by love, and we get to mother and serve other people out of rest instead of striving. I've done both, and I just encourage you to just embrace rest. It's so much better. It's so much better. The first would be to connect intentionally, knowing that everything comes from connection. You to heaven, and then heaven in you through you to your children or to whomever you're called to serve. For me, when I start feeling disconnected, I know I go into survival mode. And when I go into that mode, I have this kind of this, uh, I think about it as my low fuel light that comes on. And I I say, okay, I'm going to put down everything and I'm going to get connected. I'm going to abide so that I will be empowered by love. Because everything that I need to do, if I'm not compelled by love, then bitterness can come up, then striving can come up then really low self-worth can come up because I'm going to begin to measure the things I'm not doing well. And so I just stop and I say, okay, God, let's reconnect. I want to connect to you, connect to my source, really just plug back in and let myself be empowered. The truth is that we can mother connected to heaven. We can be wives connected to heaven. And when we do those things, we release heaven to the others because we have heaven inside of us. We're built for relationship and connection. I think a lot of times we spend hours with our kids or our husbands or our friends dealing with issues that are not the issue just because we're disconnected. A lot of times you can be in a discussion with someone, and if you have disconnection, then you actually begin to argue about the details of the argument instead of what's really going on with your heart. We learned a principle in our parenting that says connection before content. It will save you time, and it will save you the resources of your heart. Let me give you an example here. The example that we learned this with um, is the example of a child having a nightmare. Now, if you go into your child's room and your child is crying and your child says, there's a monster in the closet, I'm so afraid. Now, if you just go right into content and you begin to tell the child, there's not a monster in the closet, just go back to sleep, and you're just giving them content. You're giving them information. But if you connect before the content, they have the context to receive what you're saying. If you just were to lay down with them, to look at them, say, you're safe. You okay? I'm so sorry. And hug them and connect with them. If you build that connection first, then they have the context to hear what you're saying. So that when you say, all right, I'm going to look. And there is not a monster in your closet. You're safe. 
they'll believe you because they first have connection. This works in marriage. This works with children. This works in friendship. You can go after connection before the content. And then actually the content, I believe, will matter less because we're made for connection. But if all you're doing is doing content, you're going to work harder and not smarter. The second part of this that's really given us victory with our children is to parent and to love others. I'm talking a lot about parenting, but you can apply this to any um, relationship. Would be to love others with their love language. I think this is really for us as parents. We talk about it a lot with each other and with other people. Is this is how we can work smarter, not harder, with our kids? You know, we have six kids, and I honestly don't have the time to love all of my kids in all the different ways that the world tells me I should love them. But when I love them in the specific ways, the ways God created them to be loved, it allows me not to be spread as thin and to maximize the resource I have. My resource really is love, and I can go back and get more whenever I need to. It's this constant flow of love from the Father through me, but I'm able to maximize that resource when I understand how my children need to be loved. An example here is our first two. I'll just do those because they're so different, and it'll save us time not going through all of my children. But the first, her love language is physical touch. She needs to be picked up. She needs to be hugged. She needs to be cuddled. And my second love language, or my second child's love language, is a gift. So for those two things, if I were to come in after a busy day, they come in from school, everybody's, you know, doing homework and doing all these things. My first, if I were to sit down and try to spend time with her and then try to talk to her, try to get information from her, give her a gift, make her a snack, do all of these things. I can do all of these things and I've exhausted myself and she's just sitting there and needing a hug. But if I first do connection with her, if I sit down and just put my arm around her for 30 seconds and just let her, I can actually, when I do this, I watch her breathing and her countenance change because she receives love and she has that initial need met. She has this connection, and then we can go through all of the other things that we need to do. But I would have spent so much time loving her in all of these ways that I might think work, but when I love her the way God's designed her to be loved in physical touch, that need is met, and she's empowered, and I'm empowered. And then I can go on to my other children. I can come back because she feels safe. I've noticed with her that if I initially meet her with a hug and we have that connection, then I can go on to the other children, and when I come back and ask her what's going on or help her with her homework, we have that connection, and she can receive the content from me easier and with more grace. Now, with my second, her love language is gifts. So when I bend down and I hug her, she likes that. That's important to her. That's a need that she has. When I clean her room for her, She's like, thanks, Mom, but that's not the way that she receives love. She receives love by knowing that I thought about her, and it doesn't have to be these nice gifts. Honestly, the best Christmas gift she got this year, we were laughing about it, was this $1 elf from the Dollar Tree. But she had it in her mind that I thought about her, that I went and got it, that I put value on her, and when I gave her that gift, she felt loved. So for her, I'll color her just like on a Post-it. I'll just color her a little something and give it to her. And it changes everything. So I've learned with my kids, I can love them more effectively by reaching their individual ways that they were created to be loved. 
If you're not familiar with love language, you can look up the five love languages online and there's quizzes. And I would encourage you to find out what your spouse is, what yours is, what your kids are, because it'll really set you free and you can connect really powerfully the way that they were designed to. For me, it models abiding because it teaches your children how to know their needs and how to keep their hearts full and connected. I find out about my kids' love languages, and then I tell them so I can empower them to ask for what they need. Our oldest knows that if she's having a hard day, she can come up and she can say, I think I just really need a hug right now. And we have the context in that, that I know that she's asking for love, and I'll drop everything that I'm doing in that moment to hug her because I can give her 30 seconds of hugging there, or I can try to correct behavior the rest of the day because she hasn't received from me the way that she needs to receive. She needs to receive that full measure the way she was designed. I think that this teaches our kids to abide because they begin to monitor their own measure of love and what they need. And it's powerful to teach our kids to get what they need. I think the other part of this is it's powerful for them to see us needing God and needing that space. I used to feel really guilty um, telling my kids what I needed. I felt like I was supposed to have it all together so that they wouldn't see any kind of shortcoming. And then I realized, no, I want to teach them to have their needs met in really healthy ways. And if I'm going to teach them to be connected to me and connected to God, then I have to model the same. So I let my kids see me. If I'm having a hard day, I say, hey guys, I'm feeling really disconnected from myself and disconnected from God. So instead of Getting your snack ready right now, I'd love for you guys to do that, and I'm going to go worship for a little bit. And they'll give me that space because they have a value for it, because they've seen the fruit of love by me abiding. When we connect with our kids or with others or our spouse the way they need to be connected to, it allows us to work smarter and not harder. It gives us this ability to have this intentional time and this intentional connection with them. We don't have to be all things to all people. We're actually not able to be all things to all people. I think with our kids, we've learned that when I can help them understand their love languages, both how they give and they receive, our home operates more like a kingdom. You know, in the kingdom, we all have our place. We all have the things that we do and the ways that we help and the ways that we serve. And I'm teaching my kids, really just the oldest two are old, old enough to do this, um, but I'm teaching them to give into the kingdom of God the way that they were created to give. So my oldest, the way that she gives love is by serving. And our second, the way she gives love is by physical touch. So she goes and she sees people who need hugs. When we have a fussy baby and I'm trying to get dinner ready, my oldest is going to serve by helping me get dinner ready. And the second usually is so happy to go sit and love on a fussy baby because I want them to be empowered to love the way that they're created to love. They both re receive and give the way they were created to, and it has empowered them, and it really has built this confidence in them. And I see myself as a mother. When I'm being intentional with my connection with both heaven and with others, it builds confidence. The second key would be knowing your capacity. I really believe that our merry time, our time at his feet, our intimacy with God, our connection with God allows the Martha time. But it's important to know a couple of things, like what is your capacity? Who is at your table to serve in this season? You don't have the entire world at your table. Ask the Lord, who is at your table that you need to serve? In some seasons, I believe it may be 
a church small group, as well as your family. It may be just your family. If you have young children, you might not have the capacity to serve outside of your immediate family, and that's okay. Ask God for vision for that. Ask Him, who is at my table to serve? Who are you wanting me to teach about feasting on the goodness of God? And when you know which relationships are important for that season, it gives you freedom because you know what you have the capacity for and who you owe things to. You know, if I believe that I owe everybody something, there's no there's no way that I can remain balanced and I can remain connected and I can remain in rest. But when I look at what God has put in front of me, when I know which are the important relationships in my life, then I can stay connected to Him, serve those people well, and I can be okay with disappointing the other people because those people are not at my table to feast. They have their own table to feast at, and I am free to feast for myself, to look beside me, to minister to my children, to minister to my husband, to minister to, to you all in this season, whatever that looks like. But I can be secure in knowing my place at the table and who else belongs there next to me that I'm actually in charge of ministering to in that season. I think knowing your capacity is knowing your margins, knowing how to say no so that you can say yes. And your margins are different in every season. I remember when I had my first two, and they were at ages where they were potty trained, and one was in school, and I was able to go out and do, I did multiple small groups that semester. I was coaching life groups. I was teaching a different small group. I was attending a different one. I had a completely different margin for connection outside of my immediate family. I began working part-time, and I just had a high capacity for people. And then when I had my twins, and then we had our younger two, so we had four under the age of three, my capacity changed. What I had a capacity for in serving myself and serving others and in relationships outside of my immediate family, there was really no margin. And when I get vision from the Lord, when I say, okay, God, what do I have margin for? It becomes easy to say no so that I can say yes to the intentional relationships that God has asked me to minister to and ask me to serve in that season. I can serve my family better in this season because I know I don't have the capacity to do some of the things that people are going to ask me to do. And I'm actually okay saying no because I don't have the capacity for that in that season. Each of us has a different capacity to serve and a different capacity for people. We have different capacities for different things. Like I have a very high need for sleep in my life and I have a very low capacity for being tired for doing things that physically make me tired. So in this season, I need more rest, and I'm okay with that. I'm no longer going to beat myself up for that because I just have a lower capacity to serve and to do the physical demanding things that my life calls of me right now. My husband has a very high capacity to serve, so he can serve and get meals ready and do these things for a longer period of time before he reaches the point of like, okay, I need a break, I need to be filled up. He has a higher capacity for people. I have a lower capacity because I'm more of an extroverted introvert that when I go out, I'm not getting refreshed. He actually needs to go out so that he can get refreshed. But when we know our capacity, it helps us have our needs met. It helps us stay in rest because we get to stay full based on what our capacity is. When I start to get low, I can say, okay, God, I just need more of you. I think about it as managing our reserve. You know, reserve is to save for future use, to secure or set apart for a particular use. We build it up and we set it apart so we can pull on it when unexpected demands or needs come up. 
Grace gives us the capacity to do more in different seasons, but we need to build up a reserve in our spirit and our bodies and our souls so that when more is required of us or God invites us into a new season of more, we're ready. Our reserve is to be secure and set apart, saved up and invested into. It's an investment in love to rest and create space to build up reserve. When I'm at church and I'm worshiping and I begin to receive the love of God, I think about that as building up my reserve so that when something is needed for me and when I'm pulled on in ways that feel like they're too much for me, they come out of that overflow. They come out of the reserve. But I spend time in my life intentionally building up that reserve. Sometimes that's taking a nap. Sometimes that's going for a walk. Sometimes that's getting my nails done. Whatever that is, it's building up that reserve. It's allowing God to pour out his love for me to look at him, abide in him, so that I build up this love bank that I can set aside, that I can invest into, and I can say, thank you so much, God, for giving me this, so that when he's ready to ask me for more, I'm ready to give it to him. So if I believe that I'm going somewhere, that my destiny is that God wants to take me places, that's why I build up reserve in my life, so that when he says go, I'm ready to go, that I've set aside this intentional time to get myself filled up, to first be connected with him, to second, build up this reserve, which leads to the third point, caring for yourself. Now, I touched on this earlier, but I just want to say again, I think it's really powerful for your kids to know your strengths and where you're growing and in the ways that you care for yourself. We want to teach our kids and teach other people how to care for themselves. We don't do anything for them when we model perfection, but when we model progress and we say, this is where I'm growing, I have a need here, I need to... I need to actually go take a nap right now, or I need to go take a bath. I need to do something for myself so that I can come back and give you more of God. Because when I have more of him, I have more of him to give you. And my kids know now, they're like, hey, mom, did you, did you want to go worship? We'll totally do this so you can go worship because they've seen that fruit in my life. And I'm totally fine with that. I think that's beautiful for them to see the areas I'm growing in. And it gives them freedom. It sets them up to say, mom, I'm growing in this area. It's not selfish. It's abiding in Him so God can produce the fruit through your life that He wants to, that you can fulfill destiny by being connected with Him, and He can love people through you. So put on your own oxygen mask before you put on other people's oxygen mask. Sometimes caring for yourself literally looks like rest. Sometimes it looks like getting a babysitter or having a stash of frozen pizza in the fridge for when you just don't have capacity to cook dinner. Sometimes it looks like walking around Target or taking a walk outside, calling a friend. Sometimes it looks like saying, we need a vacation. I need someone to come help me. I think this is really where community comes in. You know the phrase, it takes a village. But you need to know here that your village is based on your needs, that you get to build community and authenticity, let people in for the ways that you need help in each season. Like, I don't necessarily need someone to come over and rock my baby to sleep. I might need someone to come over and take my toddler twins to the park and exhaust them so that when they nap, I can nap too. And I have the freedom to build community and authenticity and get my needs met to say, hey, I'm learning in this and I'm learning to to just take more of this. Because I believe that our community actually wants to help us. What we can offer and what we need to receive is different each day, but at the core, we all really want to help each other. So it's powerful to let the village help you and know that your village is based on what you need. 
to care for yourself by letting other people care for you. Sometimes I think the biggest hindrance to caring for yourself is mom guilt or thinking there isn't space to care for myself. Remember the oxygen mask and just don't buy it. It's not true. It's one day at a time. Don't look at tomorrow with today's measure of grace. There's going to be grace there tomorrow when you need it. Sometimes what we need is just a new day. I just encourage you as mothers and as women to set aside time for yourself and reassess what your needs are at different points. Your assignment is to be loved and be in connection with God so you can both receive and give the full measure. Connect intentionally the way that you need to be loved. The other hindrance I see to self-care is that we don't know our value. Mothering relationships and other relationships cost us something. That's just the truth. When you buy a gift, you put value on it. It costs you something. And when we pour out our lives in serving, serving others, you're spending and you're putting value on something, but there is a cost. It's important to know your value and the costly perfume poured out that God wants to replenish that for you. It'll be easier and more restful to pour yourself out when you know your value. When you know that the heart of God is to be connected, that you would be continually refreshed. Once you know there's a cost, you can acknowledge that and you can assess your needs and be proactive at getting refreshed, knowing your worth without growing resentful at the cost or the toll it takes on you. In my early years of mothering, I didn't know my worth. I thought I just had to pour out and pour out and pour out and that would prove that I was worthy or that I was a good mom. In the later years of mothering, as I'm continuing to learn, I'm beginning to understand my value as a mother. When I understand how important I am to God, how much He loves me, I'm receiving love from Him at a higher capacity. And when I know that value, it's easier to give it away because I know I'm connected to the source. I know I can get more so I can pour it out. I can pour out my lives for my children because I know I'm receiving life from heaven. I know for myself, when I start to feel resentful or underappreciated, I need to get refreshed from the source. It's great to get my kids to say thank you, but I understand myself well enough to know that it's actually an issue of knowing my worth or my value. That when I'm connected to Him, I know what I'm worth to Him. I can pour it out to my family, and they don't owe it back to me because they're not my source. They're the ones I get to give it to and I can go back and receive. I can stay connected with him to have this continual receiving of love so that it can flow through me and I won't become resentful towards them for something that I'm giving away. You know, when you know what you're worth, it's easier to give it away. And when you trust your supply to be refreshed, you have no issue giving it away. There's joy in giving and spending when there's no fear of lack. When I know that I can't outgive God, I can't outlove God, I can love my kids. So much more than I believe I have capacity for when I understand that I'm connected to the source, when I understand that when I need peace, when I need more fruit in my life, when I need the fruit of love in my life, I can look at him, I can abide in him, and I can receive. The fourth key is cultivating culture, that you have this beautiful thing that God's given you, and it's the culture of your home. It's the culture of your family. As mothers, I think a lot of times we're creating atmosphere because he created us to birth. We're birthing atmosphere and creating what our homes are like. And if we can have a vision from him of what we're creating, it helps us with our yeses and our noes because it gives us vision of where we're going so that we know what the day-to-day -day needs to look like. Let me give you an example of this. I want to cultivate peace in my home. 
So I make intentional decisions to cultivate this peace. For example, peace looks like rest and it looks like connection. So we have intentional quiet time during the day and we have TVs and phones put away at certain times and um, screen time and that kind of stuff is limited so that there's not all of these different things happening at the same time. We don't have music playing while the TV is playing and kids running. We have intentional time to cultivate that peace. What that looks like for me is being able to manage my kids' transitions throughout the day with peace, meaning that I like and I communicate with those that I'm in in community with, like, hey, let me know if you want to stop by. Because when someone just comes in, for me, that doesn't cultivate peace. I like to prepare for someone coming over to be able to tell my kids, to be able to straighten up. And it's okay. That doesn't mean I'm a crazy control freak. It means that I'm cultivating peace. The culture in my home is that my kids would feel safe. My kids would feel at rest. And I'm not going to let outside influences, even my community, disrupt that. And I'm okay with that. I remember um, a teaching where a mother talked about not having an open door policy. For some of us, we want to cultivate spontaneity and we thrive on excitement and we want people to just pop in and that brings life to us. Then you cultivate that. You be you. But it's also okay to say, okay, in my house, I really want to steward and cultivate peace. So I'm going to make a plan for that. And that looks like saying, okay, we want to spend time with these people. Let's invite them over. Let's say, why don't you come over around 630 and leave around 830? Because I want to be intentional with my bedtime with my kids because that makes them feel peaceful. I would just encourage you to think about the culture of your family, to think about what you want. Another thing I want to cultivate in my home is a culture of joy. So for me, the way that I do that is intentionally going after joy. I make my decisions based on will this bring joy or will this bring peace? Whatever it is that you're wanting to cultivate in your home, you can make your decision by saying, does this fulfill that vision? Does me saying yes to all of these extracurricular activities look like peace in this season or look like joy in this season? And then sometimes it's creating a plan so that we can go after these things. It gives you freedom in the decision-making because it's bigger than just a simple yes or no. It's knowing what you value and knowing where you're going. You get to put aside time to go after these things to say, we have a culture of peace in our home. We have a culture of joy in our home. So if it's not feeling peaceful and it's not feeling joyful, then we're going to go after connecting with the source so that we see these things happen in our home. I think very practically for me, if I say we're going to go after cultivating joy in our home, that means that when people start to feel heavy, when the house, when the atmosphere starts to feel heavy, I say, okay, everybody, let's go to the kitchen. Let's have a dance party. We may not feel like it, but I and committed to cultivating joy in my home and cultivating peace in different seasons. For me, there has not been a grace to be able to do things like a bunch of extracurricular activities because I still have nappers at home. I believe in another season, I'm going to be able to say yes to that because that is what peace or joy is going to look like in that season. But I can say no to saying, okay, we're not going to be able to do all of these activities and I'm actually okay disappointing my kids because I can have a vision for where we're going and I know that it's a greater value of them for me to be cultivating peace and joy or whatever it is for you that the Lord has given you whatever you want to cultivate in your home, when you know the value of that, you can say no to the other things. I can say, no, I actually can't be a part of that group right now. That's okay. 
I'm actually going after this. God's really given me a vision for this. It gives you freedom in your yes and your no. I can ask myself and you can ask yourself, does this matter on a grand scale? And it'll allow the Holy Spirit to give grace and also challenge us to build strong convictions of why we are building what we are building. We can say no to activities for a season if we're building connection with our family. I know that when we first moved here, the Lord said, everything right now is about connection for you guys and building community. But we couldn't put all of our energy into building community or we would have lost connection with our kids in this huge transition moving across the United States. We spent time intentionally connecting with them, asking the Lord to show us where to intentionally connect with community because I want to be doing what he's doing and where there's fruit in my life instead of striving and working outside of what I have capacity for so that I can stay at rest. I can be okay saying no to things and I cannot partner with the fear of missing out when I have vision for what I'm building with God within my family and as a woman and as a mother. When I know I'm creating a legacy, I can look at the whole of where we're going and that can change in each season. You know, God might say in next season, I want you to sign up for everything. And I'm open to that. I just want to be in the season that I'm in with the Lord and knowing that it's always my season to bring my portion of Him, to receive from Him, and to pour out to others. So making decisions based on what you want to cultivate in your house, having vision for what you're building and you're growing as a family. I think this even comes into place when we're disciplining our children. We can discipline our children, help them, instruct them, however you want to say that, build connection with them based on who they're becoming, based on where they're going. You know, it's not just correcting them so that they'll be more perfect. It's not teaching them to strive and to be all of these things, to be patient, to be loving, to be all these things. It's saying, hey, I see something on your life. You are called to love people really well, and I don't see you loving your brother really well right now. So let's take a break and let's talk about that. Let's get connected to the source. Let's see what's going on. Why don't I help you receive love from God so that you have that love, God's perfect love, to give to your brother instead of what's happening right now? I believe it creates this rest, and it's going to teach our kids to have their needs met. But when you can discipline them and parent them out of vision for where you're going, it's going to help you with the day-to-day yeses and nos. Does this matter for where God said we're going? Does this matter for what I want to cultivate in my home? what God has given me to steward and the people that are at my table to feast alongside of. I know I covered so much today. I'm so passionate about mothers and women being at rest. So what I just want to end, and I just want to say that you were made for this, that you have freedom to be yourself. It doesn't have to look like this. It doesn't have to look like that. It needs to look like who you were made to be. You connected to the source of God looks different than me connected to the source of God. You loving with the full measure of what he's given you looks different than me loving at the full measure of what he's given to to me. It's so beautiful that we're uniquely created. We need all parts of the body. It's not we need a Mary instead of a Martha. It's we need Marys and Martha. It's you empowered by love. It's you filled with the spirit, the spirit that enables you and has no limit. I think the world has told mothers and women that there are certain types of us that are built for, for mothering or built for serving, and the others just need to work on themselves. I just want to say, no, you were built to be who you were, and you were created perfectly. You are God's masterpiece. There's no prototype of being a good mother. There's no this leave it to beaver, this good choice of which box we fit in as mothers. It's not a becoming this or a that. 
but God empowered us by partnering with us to be fruitful as mothers. He placed life inside of us and gave us our children, which means we are the right mother for our children. You're the right mother for the children God has gifted you with. You're anointed by him for the purpose he has called you to. You're the right fit. You're the right measure. You're enough. I bless you to step into being your fullest self, to step into full connection with heaven, that you would begin to abide and have the fruit of love in your life, that you would mother and serve out of complete rest, empowered by love, nourished by heaven. I bless you today all the goodness that God has for you. In Jesus' name, I declare that you are enough. You are boundless. You are empowered. 